0: For the love of money, it is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. To keep the command unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and internal dominion, Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to, nor to see their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: We stumbled upon this series called Hard Conversations and um, started with last week with discussing the recent uh, Supreme Court decision and realized there's a lot of hard conversations going on in the world. And and today we talk about money, a hard conversation. In fact, they say that pastors really are scared to talk about money because it'll either get people really angry or it'll make people feel like all we want is money. I assure you my $6 million jet is one is enough. I don't need a second one. Um, I don't have a jet, just in case people are. (laughs) Um, And so finances are a topic right now because of inflation. We just got the recent June report that 9.1% inflation rate, the highest in, what, decades. And so whenever we fill up the gas, uh, fuel in the gas tank, you feel the pain. And so money is so real in our our world. They even say that um, credit cards are so easy to build up because you don't feel the physical pain of giving someone money. So there's a psychological phenomenon where you buy something with cash. It kind of hurts, and there's a weight to it. But if there's a credit card you just slash, people just spend, 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 spend. And so money is very powerful. Jesus talked about money more than hell. Did you remember that? Jesus talked about money more than even hell. And so money is important to us in the sense that it is directly tied to our heart's affections, to our worship. And so money is stressful these days. So let me ask you a question. How many of you would be happy to make in your household $250,000 a year? Right? I mean, just to be honest, like $250,000. If everyone around you had $250,000, well, maybe a better question is, how many think that if everyone had $250,000 household income, that their stress levels about money would be much better. No one's raising their hand. That's true. See, Beverly Hills average household income is, can anyone guess? Well, it's pretty close. $192,000. The median household income in Beverly Hills is only $101,000. That's interesting. Laguna Beach average household income is $216,000. The median Household income in Laguna Beach is 128. So it's not, like, outrageous. So if you make 128, you make as much as half of the whole, whole city. Now, why am I sharing this? In June 3rd, 2022, Business Insider came out with an article that kind of made everyone pause. And the article, it says, over 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck 60% are living paycheck to paycheck as inflation concerns impact savings. This is Business Insider, and CNBC also reiterated it. But here's the scary part. The report also found that 36% of high-income consumers, those making 250000 or more annually, are among those living paycheck to paycheck. That's... Blew my mind. So people making 250,000 doctors are living in a lifestyle where because of inflation, they suddenly caught themselves living paycheck to paycheck. They're just paying the bills. They did say, qualified, that their lower income, like 50 and below, are having a hard time actually paying the bills. But it's astounding that in Laguna Beach, Beverly Hills, People are relying on that next paycheck to get by on bills. So the more money we have, does it mean that we are financially secure and stable? And the answer is no. It is not how much money you make that makes one financially secure and stable and happy and financially at peace. It is how we view money, how we steward it, how we strategize it that brings peace. And so, even if a household brings in $250,000 a year, if you live in a lifestyle that is beyond your means without any cushion, inflation hits 9.1%, suddenly you are panicking. 60% of Americans. So, what does the Bible say about money? Let's go back to the basics. Is wealth a sin? And the Bible tells us, no, Solomon was wealthy. He wasn't a sinner because of his wealth. He was a sinner because he had a couple hundred wives. And so the Bible tells us wealth is not a sin. Wealth is actually to be appreciated, and wealth itself is good. The worship and the love and the obsession of having wealth, that is a sin. And so somebody might say, who knows the Bible? And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't Jesus say it is impossible for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man. And if you read the context, Jesus is not slamming wealthy people. What he's slamming, if you read the next part, is, therefore, what's impossible with man is, not possible, is possible with God. He's saying people that try to achieve the kingdom of heaven by their work, by their wealth, by their abilities, is impossible. But not with God. And so that's what Jesus is teaching. People who think money is a solution, wealth and their ability their goodness, it's impossible. So we go to 1 Timothy 6. What is the sin? Let's read it together. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. That's one of the most misquoted verses in all of America. People are like, yeah, we know money is evil. Money is not evil. It's a neutral transaction tool. The love of it, the greed of it, The longing for it, the security and significance in it, the love of it is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. So, I mean, that's a whole sermon in itself. But that's for next week. We'll talk about greed today. We're going to talk about contentment. But did you catch that? People are wandering away from faith in God because of their love for money. I rather, do you guys remember the movie Lord of the Rings? The ring to rule them all, they call it the precious golem. That ring is such an obsessive object that it blinds them to everything else, and they are destroyed by the love for this ring. And so in the same way, the money itself is not evil, but the obsession, the love of it, the Bible tells us. So he continues, some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So the objective is to learn to live in contentment this is god's will for us that's if you walk away with this message you heard the whole sermon <laughs> the objective that god wants for christians is not about poor or rich he he does not require christians to be poor he does say are you willing to carry the cross and give up all things but he doesn't command us to be poor some of you are called to be rich some of you are called to live in middle income or lower income but the objective is wherever you are the objective is to learn to live in contentment. And so if you if you read a different version, the craving of money, wandering from the true faith, pierce themselves with sorrow, this, these things destroy contentment. So Philippians 4:12 tells us this. Can we read it together? I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Same author that wrote 1 Timothy says this, contentment is something we have to learn. It's something we learn. It doesn't come to you naturally. Paul has learned to figure out what it means to be content even when he's being shipwrecked, tortured, beaten. He has a lot or a little. So contentment is not like a zap of God's finger, and we're content, but it is it's something that we learn to grow into. And so Paul says, great gain on uh, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And another New Living Translation puts it this way, Tr- true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Isn't that great? Godliness And true contentment is itself being wealthy. Um, Part one of this whole series about money is contentment is God's message for us. And so contentment is defined as this. The state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are emotionally and mentally satisfied with the things the way they are now ask yourself this question am i emotionally and mentally satisfied with the things the way they are in my life when it comes to money and so contentment is that webster's defines it feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possession status or situation now i hope married people you better learn to enjoy contentment with your spouse or else every day will become harder and harder, and you're going to find yourself drifting away, and that's the beginning of probably separation. There is something that in your spouse, in your children, you better learn to be content. Like, they are the way they are. They're not perfect. They're just like me, and we find contentment in this family. But what happens when we lose that satisfaction? We resent them. We, we, We are angry we have them. And our life becomes challenging because we want something different. We lost that healthy contentment. So the Greek word that Paul uses is archaos, a mind contented with its lot. So God, my life right now, the way it is, it is difficult, it is challenging, but I trust you, and I'm going to find peace with you in it. That's contentment that Paul is talking about. So how does contentment elude us? So if I ask all of you, who, you know, who wants to learn to be content, I think everyone would raise their hand. So the bigger question is, why do we have a hard time finding contentment? So that's the big question. Why do you and I have a hard time finding contentment? And if you say greed, that's an easy answer, but there's a root of greed that sources greed. And we'll talk about greed next week. And so I have a professor in Princeton. His name is Diogenes Allen. What a cool name, Diogenes Allen. And he's a modern theologian and philosopher. He's actually an ordained PCUSA minister. One of the greatest minds in in Princeton, and I never got to study under him, but I read his book. And he wrote a book called Spiritual Theology. And one of the chapters, he has this chapter titled Eight Deadly Thoughts. And the premise of that chapter is It is not sin that keeps you, Christian, from loving God and neighbor and being generous. What he says, what he propounds, is it's deadly thoughts that you allow in your head that lead to passions, that lead to sin. It's thoughts that we allow our minds to enter into, deadly thoughts that lead to lack of love for God and neighbor and lacking generosity. So, um, he, he coins a 4th century monastic monk named Evagrius, and he finds his insight, and he finds two reasons, and I'm, I'm going to summarize it, two reasons why you and I have a hard time finding contentment. And the two thoughts are, you ready for this? Fear, and the other one is sadness. And you're like, how are fear and sadness, how do, how do they affect my, my contentment? And so I'll tell you, I'm going to keep that up. So he writes about fear, our need for material goods, he writes in chapter 9, suggests to the mind a lengthy old age, inability to perform manual labor, famines that are sure to come, sickness that will visit us, the pinch of poverty, the great shame that comes from accepting the necessities of life from others. These thoughts fill us with anxiety and insecurity, fear, fear, and keep us from being generous. These thoughts cause anxiety, worry, insecurity, and fear, and turn us from the very life of a follower of Christ, which is to love and be generous. So we find discontentment fueled out of this fear of, what if another pandemic comes? What if I lose my job? What if I can't work anymore? What if something else? And it's this constant fear That says, I need to have more. But what is that saying? I can mitigate every calamity. And so that future is up to me. It's never at peace because worry and insecurity drives us. And so these days, I look at young people. How many of you know young people that their anxiety levels are way higher than in the 80s or 70s? It is rampant. And there's a lot of theories, but maybe young teens are watching Instagram and social media, and they're seeing everyone living this happy life, and they're filled with fear, like, what if I don't have that? And so this is the fear that keeps us from being content with where we are. i got to have more. i got to want more. So he continues, Our minds become so full of the desire to gain enough material goods to make ourselves secure against every possible calamity, quote-unquote, that we fail to pay sufficient attention to either our neighbor or God. Did you catch that? That's very true, isn't it? We are so afraid of what might happen to us, we don't think about Elder Lily down the street who's barely struggling to get milk. Well, I got to take care of myself. And so this kind of life not only leads us from from contentment, we forget the very truly needy people around us. And so fear drives us. We shut God out out of fear. Verse 10 says, some have wandered away from the faith. And so we cannot ever find contentment when you are ruled by fear. Impossible. Like, have you ever seen someone afraid be grateful? It's impossible. Have you ever seen someone generous be someone who's filled with fear? It's impossible. It's only those who have, are not consumed by fear that find contentment and actually the little they have they're generous they're giving now where did he come up with this the smartest man that i could ever know his name is jesus christ in the sermon on the mount listen to what jesus says right after anxiety and money he says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, verse 25, right after it. He says, therefore, I tell you, listen, do not be anxious about your life. Jesus is saying it right here. What keeps you from worshiping God, what drives you away from God, is your anxiety and fear. It's your love for the money. It's your false belief that money is your security and you can't find contentment in it. Do not anxious. And so the first deadly thought is fear. And I'm curious, maybe this is a conversation you can have. How are you doing with fear? Second thought is this. Second deadly thought that keeps us from contentment. This surprised me. Sadness. Sadness. So I was like, hey, so we read into it. Let me read it. The next deadly thought sadness arises when we compare our achievements with those of others and find we are deeply disappointed with our lives. I heard this the other day. Uh, what happens when you make a million dollars? You hang out with other millionaires, right? And then you just bought a yacht or a nice condo, and you're hanging out with some guy who makes $5 million, and what happens when the guy that makes $5 million shares you his yacht? You suddenly start feeling poor. <laughs> you make $5 million, and then you hang out with people that make $10 million, $20 million, and then what happens to you? My house just isn't as nice as I thought it was. <laughs> In other words, Once you start that climb, there is never an ending. There is always someone that will make you feel poorer than you are. Or they'll make you feel richer. But that lifestyle never finds contentment. So sadness comes because we see that our lives, this uh, self-pity, and that we are given this unfair share of this world. So sadness arises, we compare our achievements with those of others and find we are deeply disappointed with our lives. A sadness is a form of self pity which we may experience as we think about what we might have become had we not suffered from restrictions that come with being a Christian. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I know a few families that said, if I only had, if my husband didn't do this, if my wife didn't, if only I went to that school instead. I'm not sure why God put me in this place. And so we find this contentment that we think we have this sadness that we have this ideal life that we missed because of an unfair shake. So rather than finding joy in following Christ's ways, he writes, we think of all the pleasures we could have enjoyed were it not for our obedience. If I didn't go to church every Sunday, if I didn't give offering, if I didn't think about God, maybe I'd be richer. Now, I don't think it's me, but I know pastors who are making like $70,000 80,000, they could have been genuinely millionaires because of their brilliance. They could succeed in chemistry, biology, medical field, and they gave it all up because they followed God's will. What you will not see from them is, why did God give me this unfair shake? But a lot of us look at our lives, and we are discontented with sadness, according to Diogenes Allen, because we see that this has kept us from this Happiness it eludes us. It's out there, and so we look at our lives. You go home and you're like, "Eh, "Why this?" So sadness keeps us from discontent, from contentment. And so, what are the antidotes? What are the antidotes? Um, So today I'm going to focus on again that big question: God wants us to be content. How? What's keeping us from content? The antidote to for fear. How do you overcome fear? First well, Timothy 6, 7, and 8. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. Remember that part in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts, give us our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That part in there is give us our what? Filet mignon, lobster tail, shrimp, all-you-can-eat buffet. Give us our what? Daily bread. So for the early Christians, Jesus teaches his prayer, here is what wealth looks like. It is knowing that God cares for you. It is knowing that God provides for you. That your daily bread is not something you conjured up through your brilliance and work, but even that is something God has given to you. So Paul has one treasure, one significance, one purpose for living, and it's all over his letters. His treasure is, let's say it together, Jesus Christ. Who is Paul's treasure? Jesus Christ. So once Paul finds that, the trust of God grows. The fear is gone. This is his life. The essentials, like food and clothing for him, is contentment. So wait, imagine living like that. God, I can't believe I have a meal every day i can't believe i have a food and clothing and then every other blessings that comes our way is icing on the cake uh, one thing i went to juarez mexico uh, a couple times for a mission with my college group my home church years ago literally these kids are coming every day five days a week in underwear and ripped shirt about 100 kids coming together and we're playing and we give them a t-shirt i don't know about you but you know my kids they're they're not really like selfish or anything but when we give them a shirt they don't go thank you mom a new t-shirt thank you so much you know i don't think kids in la (laughs) mirada look at a new pair of socks and go whoa new socks but when you go to a place where they really don't have even the just basics they're happy about the food that we serve they're like this is great these little kids and we realize wait a minute if god is our heavenly father I was so broken, I am not nearly thankful enough for the simple, basic things. How many of you are grateful you are alive and you woke up today? Come on. How many of you are grateful that you had a car to get to this place instead of walking up Hillsboro? I tried that a couple times. I stopped after twice. (laughs) Like, we are all here literally because of a car that functions. I don't care if it takes, like, eight miles per gallon. You have something to get you here. And so the antidote is like, God, you are so good. Everything else is icing on the cake. So Diogenes Allen writes, one of the fruits of the Spirit indicative of God's activity in our lives is that we become like God. So contentment comes out in generosity. So the two commands throughout the Bible are, be not afraid and praise the Lord. And instead of fear, the two commands that are most common in the Bible that God gives us is, do not be afraid. Can you say that to the person next to you, even if you don't know them? Ready? Go. Just tell them. Do not be afraid. This is from God. And praise the Lord. That is the com- two most common commands in the Bible. So, how do we overcome fear? Do not be afraid. Remember that. And praise the Lord. Second, the antidote for sadness then is many of us are burdened with a great deal of such sadness. It signifies that we still have not fully received the freedom of a Christian who does not live under the bondage of achievement, but whose primary self-understanding and identity is based on God's positive and loving view. Diogenes Allen, what he's saying here is, here's the antidote for sadness. If you find yourself sad because you compare with others, you are still living in the old life of finding significance in achievement and in money and in your possessions. The gospel has obliterated that. Your significance is in Jesus Christ who died for you when you were a sinner. That frees us from the sadness of feeling like I'm only worthy when I drive this car. I'm only worthy when I get to this level. I'm only worthy if my parents say you finally accomplished it. Like sometimes we have parent issues, right? But what the gospel says is your significance now is only in what Jesus Christ says you are. You are loved. You are precious. You are received. You are not rejected. Your significance is in who God says you are. So sad because our significance is not tied to uh, material things frees us from this hold on us. And so 1 Timothy 6, 9, going back to that, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation because they are stuck in that loop. Again, if you make $10 million, will you be happy? Statistics show you are not. <laughs> if you make a, right now, Bill Gates, you know what his objective as his life is? He wants to give away all of his money before he dies, to which his children probably said, great. Um, so 500,000 won't make us happy. Five million won't make us happy. It is recognizing my significance and your worth is not in what you make. So let me end with this. Paul finds this significance in Christ. The word content is only in one other place in the whole New Testament. So Paul says, be content. I've learned the secret of contentment. The word content is only in one other place in the whole Bible. Let's read it together. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses that Christ's power may rest on me. And that word, sufficient, is our chaos. My grace is contentment for you. My grace makes you content. All that you need, our chaos, is in me. And the weaker you are, and the more dilapidated you are, and your life is, praise God, my power will be perfect in you. This allows us to surrender with joy to the Lord. And so contentment looks like this, I think. This is the artwork titled Grace by uh, Eric Enstrom. And it's, I think, in our Jenks Hall, too. It's famous. And I saw this picture, and I wanted to end with this image of contentment. And I don't know the backstory of this, to be honest. But when you see this photo, you see a man humbly thanking God for soup and bread with the Word of God right next to it who finds do you see any sadness coming out through this picture do you see any fear coming out of this picture this is a man whose faith is secured and significance is secured in the work of god through jesus christ this is contentment that god wants for us not because he wants to make us ascetic very uh, dilapidated or monastic lifestyle but to free us from fear and sadness To live into this freedom that Christ purchased for us by his blood. How do we look at money and life? Contentment is gratitude, contentment is generosity, and contentment is godliness. And the wealth that we have is not in assets we hold, but in verse 11, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. steadfastness, and gentleness. That, to God, is wealth. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are here, and we want to say, it is hard to be content. So teach us to learn contentment. And We're not talking about just even the clothes that we want to buy or the new phones that are coming out, but deep in our hearts that the fear that fuels us that that pushes us that says more and more and more the sadness that declares we are significant god we surrender these things to you and say god you are our treasure godliness is wealth, and we find security and significance in jesus you and so god it is i don't want to make light of the financial hardship that many are going through and some in this room and so especially now, teach us contentment. And teach, especially now, teach us to live in generosity because there are so many more who have severe needs. And so, God, help us to be a church that loves you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and lives loving our neighbors in generosity and action. Free us from fear and sadness again and again in Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.